You're listening to The Right Women Podcast, a platform created for Black Caribbean female writers and authors who audio scribe their origin stories and their journeys to authorship. I'm your host and storyteller, Empress Zinga. Chapter 2 Adziko Simba Gigile. Adziko Simba Gigile is known in some areas of the Caribbean as a storyteller and workshop facilitator, specializing in working with children. Her debut novel, All Over Again, won the inaugural Burt Award for Caribbean Literature in 2014. In this chapter, we will have a very candid talk about how she is a writer and the story behind All Over Again. Hey everybody, it's Empress Zinga and welcome to the Right Women Podcast. This week, we are speaking to a Jamaican playwright poet and author. Um, her name is Aziko Simba Gigile and she has been a very, I don't know, I guess growing friend because we've met before on her trip here to Barbados a few years back and um, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here and being a part of the podcast. Oh, you're most welcome. I'm really excited about the whole idea of the podcast and um, I know this is just the beginning but I'm sure you're going to get a lot of followers. Thank you so much. Um, well, first question as always. I always mm -hmm. ask the ladies who are on, how did you answer the call to be a right woman? W-R-I-T-E. Ah, well, I didn't really have any choice. The call came and got me. Um, I remember my early love affair with, with uh, words on the page was definitely promoted by my mother, mm -hmm. who had excellent ploy in the summer holidays. She would give me a certain amount of money and take me to um, a bookstore in London. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where I was born. Mm -hmm. And um, at that time, it was, it was marketed as the greatest bookstore in the whole world. That was Foils. And um, so I would go there every summer I could buy whatever books I wanted. And then she wouldn't see me for five of the six weeks summer holiday. <laughs> so, and it was only later that I realized that was a ploy. <laughs> that was a ploy to get a break from me. But it was, you know, it worked magic because I would eat, sleep, and breathe these books. I would enter into these books and it was just a magical world. Um, and so I think from that early age, I started to understand the power of words. And then gradually, I started to want to create my own stories. Um, I, I'm an only child for my mother. And so that meant I spent a lot of time on my own. I had to create my own entertainment. And this was an ideal vehicle for doing that. That's a very beautiful beginning. I'm an only child as well, so I can oh. totally relate. <laughs> um, you are also a storyteller, both on the page, but also on the stage. What mm -hmm. makes a storyteller a storyteller to your mind? And is that role dying out in the Caribbean? Or do you think it's being morphed into a new form? Ah, oh, what makes a storyteller? Well, we're all storytellers. Mm. Everyone loves to 
tell a story. If something happens to you, you know, one of the first things you think of is, oh, I've got to call my best friend Rita. Rita's got to hear about this. And you relate the story. (laughs) And so we are all storytellers. I think those of us in the Caribbean have got a plus, plus, plus added to storyteller because of the way that we are as a people, you know, when we tell a story, we have to jump up, we have to do the actions, <laughs> there's a little song with it, mm-hmm. you know, we have to do the song, the back to story. <laughs> yeah, man, and, and, and as audience, you know, we are the perfect storytelling audience because we hear the story, we have to join in, yeah. we have to anticipate what's going to come next you know so i think that um i think that uh we are born storytellers and what makes a professional storyteller from another is um that we we realize i think the importance of it and we realize that um there is a craft to it and that it can generate income and it can be of service to the community. I think that is, that is the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and also maybe that we're brave enough to either stand up in front of an audience or publish a piece of work mm-hmm. and say, look, you know, this is me, this is my story. Mm. What are some of the challenges you face as a black Caribbean female writer? Mm. Being black, being Caribbean, being female. (laughs) (laughs) The heavy question, I know. (laughs) Um, You know, women generally tend to be marginalized, so there's always that glass ceiling to break through. Um, Being in the Caribbean means that, I think along with that answer to who is a storyteller, what makes a storyteller, we're quite, um, we're quite uh, un in awe, if that's the word. <laughs> we're quite un in awe yeah. of storytellers because they're on every corner. Yep. Our grandmother's a storyteller, a father's a storyteller, mm. a best friend. And so why would we go out to listen to a storyteller or mm. why would we buy a book and read? something Mm. that a storyteller has so I think there's that kind of barrier you know the Calypsonians Mm. um, the DJs the rap artists we're inundated with stories and so being a writer of stories in especially if it if it's in book form you're up against perhaps some resistance to the written word Mm. So along with being a woman, along with being in a small region of the world, mm-hmm. <clears throat> there's also how do we as a, as a region think about writing and think about stories. Mm. And I, I think that is changing a lot. Um, women are coming to the fore. People are finding out, hey, you know, women have got some interesting things to say as well. Yeah. Um, and also being coming from the Caribbean at the moment, mm. it's it's quite the thing. Yes. You know, quite <laughs> to come from the Another Caribbean. trending topic everywhere. <laughs> well, as with all trends, you know, they have a certain lifespan. And exactly. so 
part of the challenge is, is, is to catch the wave, you know, and surf it to the best of your ability. Mm. Um, I'm going to transition now into your book, which is, I can say honestly, one of my favorite books is in my top three. And oh, it's not wow. just, it's not just a Caribbean favorite book. It is book of all time. Oh, when, wow. <laughs> when you came here to Barbados um, and we, we sat down and we talked and then we, you presented your book you were touring your book and then you had a workshop and when you went through the entire idea of uh the book itself the process mm. of the book i didn't even know it was your first novel so okay <laughs> that jumped me was like this was your first novel what else can she do so <laughs> for those who don't know about your book all over again tell us a little bit about it Okay, all over again, it's, um, it's been marketed as a young adult book, but I would strongly make a case for it being a book for all people. Mm. Um, it's a book that traces the transition of a young boy from being a child into being an adult. And his whole confusion, particularly of his emotions, during that very critical time in his life. Mm -hmm. And I say it's a book for everyone because I've read it to a really wide variety of audiences. And the younger people who are younger than the protagonist who's 12 at the beginning of the book, mm -hmm. they're all in awe because they're like, oh my God, is that, what, is that what's going to happen to me? Mm -hmm. The people who are around the same age as the boy go, uh-huh, yep, that is my life. <laughs> <laughs> the ones who are slightly older are like, uh-huh, yeah, that was my life. <laughs> and then the Elders are like, oh my God, that wasn't exactly my life. But you see that story then? That was so much like what happened to me. Mm. And it just reminds me of the things that I went through. I remember I read it um, in a small gathering and there was a man there. He must have been in his 60s, I would think. Mm. And he said, you know, the way the boy talks about his emotions, it took me such a long time to be able to get to that. Mm -hmm. And I just love that he is so in touch with his emotions. And I wish at his age, I'd been able to read a book like this that gave me permission to have these emotions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it works on so many different levels. I also um, read it in, I've read it in England, but mm -hmm. my biggest fear was reading it to a group of accomplished artists in um, in Saratoga Springs at Yaddo. Okay. okay. And um, there was absolute silence in the room. And in my mind, while I'm reading, I'm saying to myself, "You have just died. You are dead." <laughs> <laughs> they were so engaged. That was the thing at they the end. So yes. And, you know, this was a group of chiefly um, North Americans. You know, the context is completely different. The references are different. The culture is different. And yet they absolutely got it. Mm. So it, that, that's when I realized, oh, okay, this transcends. It really does. Yeah. 
Now, in terms of how you wrote the book, um, hopefully no spoilers for anybody out there who wants to read it. Um, but you said you, you've written the book from second person and then yeah. you had to turn around and speak from the eyes of a little boy, as you mentioned earlier, 12 years old and his transitions between being a child and, and going through his different challenges and going through emotional intelligence and what that meant for him as that age. What special knowledge or research was required to write this book? Like, did you have a friend that you spoke to about it? Did you have a little nephew or a child you were tutoring that could have probably influenced this book? Or this just came straight from the heart and the spirit world was like, yes, here is a idea, uh, as you call, go with it. You have our blessing. Oh, gosh. Well, I guess, I guess all of the above, but chiefly I have a son mm. and, um, the book is not him. Mm -hmm. The episodes are not him. Some of the episodes begin with an incident mm. uh, that is, is based around his life. But how the first story, which is actually the last story in the book, how that came about is my phone bill went up. Mm. He was about, actually he was older than the protagonist. He was about 13. And my bill went from something like a thousand Jamaican dollars a month to five thousand. Wow. And I looked at the bill and all the numbers were to a cell phone. Mm -mm. And that is when I realized this is the beginning of the end. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody calling people. <laughs> I tell you, <laughs> and it was a one people, mm -mm. and that's mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and actually the the end of that story is they're married and they have three children. Oh, kids, dear! <laughs> <laughs> so it was for a good cause. <laughs> it was, but it actually got me thinking about a fantasy of him taking out his first girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And what it would be like to fall in love for the first time for a boy. Mm -hmm. So that, that was then the catalyst. And I think all writers, one of the things that we really have to excel at is people watching and people listening. Yeah. And I'm in a fortunate position where I, would, um, I was doing a lot of workshops and doing summer schools with children. And he had a lot of friends and just through my interaction with them, with the work I was doing, I came across guys a lot. And I think because I have the ability to listen, guys tell me stuff that perhaps they wouldn't even tell their friends. Hmm. And, and I, I'm very curious and I will ask that question that no one else will ask. Hmm. And so I guess in my mind, I had a catalog of all of these things. And then certainly the universe and the ancestors played an enormous role in this because once I wrote the first story, the characters just took up residence and more and more stories came, more and more incidents came and started to expand themselves into full-blown stories with these same characters. So I wouldn't say it was easy, but um, because I didn't know I was writing a novel, that definitely helped me because I didn't have that pressure. 
but also because, as I say, the accumulation of other people's stories, it then made it easy for stories to flow. And now an excerpt from All Over Again, a novel by Adziko Simbagigile. Your backpack feels much heavier now that you're walking back home and not running away. It feels like it has Delroy in it. Delroy sitting on his bed, picking at his fingers and saying, I want to go and live with my daddy. That's how heavy it feels. Your father and mother are sitting in the big soft sofa on the veranda. You tell them good night, like you're just coming in from somewhere that they knew about instead of somewhere that they didn't know about. It doesn't work. Good night. Where are you coming from? Over by Delroy, daddy. You step out of the house and don't tell nobody. Sorry, daddy, I forgot. Forgot? I'm sorry. What happened? Why you look so upset? That's why God made mummies, so that they can ask you how you are feeling and stop your father from throwing you in prison. Now, it is your turn to sit and pick. You sit on the top step of the porch and pick at the loose strings hanging from the straps of your backpack because your head is full of principles and principles and lizards and star apples and stupid suits and ties and tickets and maths, maths that just don't add up. All you can do is pick. And then your mother says, So what if you didn't get to see your father for a long time? How does she know these things? This is why Delroy says women are a mystery. Because your mother knows these things that you are picking about when you haven't even told her. You can't even do the mass of principles, so you don't even try to do the mass of mysteries. Instead, you just think about her question, and you think, cool, that's what you think. If you didn't get to see your father for a long time, that would be cool. Cool, because you wouldn't have to put up with him and his unreasonableness, and maybe your mother would let you do things that he wouldn't let you do. Things like, like... Well, you think, maybe not. Maybe not. And then you think, maybe it wouldn't be cool at all because then you start to think about all the things you would miss if you didn't see your father for a long time. If you had to go back and do it all over again, (laughs) quote unquote, (laughs) is there any aspect of your novel or getting it publish that you would change um not really i i published with a great publisher in jamaica tanya batson savage Mm. runs blue banyan books um and the imprint is blouse and skirt books Mm -hmm. um we we have a phrase in jamaica like yeah (laughs) something's really astounded we go And so her her thing is that she wants people to read these books, get to the last uh, line and go, that was a blouse and skirt book. (laughs) (laughs) So um, hooking up with her was very fortuitous because she is an excellent editor as well as being a publisher. And she really holds no punches. So... If the thing sounds crap, she'll say, Zico, it sounds crap. You need to change it. Hmm. I shed many a tear. (laughs) (laughs) 
All the um, process, so I've been told. Yes. Yep. Um, but but uh, so that I I would not change that. I I've recognised right at the beginning that it was definitely a learning process, and that doesn't mean that. I wouldn't approach things differently with future books. But with this book, no, I'm very satisfied with the path that I took. Mm. Do you think it's easier to communicate on the stage as a performer or is it easier to communicate on page as an artist? Mm. I think they're both different specialists areas of skill but what I try to do is to let both bleed into each other so in my book um, you'll see by the layout um, I've tried to reproduce how I would tell this story so there's repetition in it there's a lot of imagery there's the way that even the the way that I've used the second person, mm-hmm. what I'm trying to do in the same way that when I'm on stage, I want the audience to come up on stage and live through the story. Yeah. I'm trying to do that same thing using the second person. I want the reader to act, to be so involved with the story that it's their life. Mm-hmm. It becomes them. It becomes you. Yeah. So a tapestry I, of empathy. There are. Oh, what a lovely phrase. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm empathy. I better write that down. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm working with both of those, those uh, media, but I do recognize that both of them are completely different. When you're on stage, you can stop, you can pause, you can ask the audience questions. Um, you can feel... Mm how the audience is feeling in real time when you're writing you have to anticipate these things Mm. and you're trying to get across the feeling without really knowing how it's coming across so a lot of um when i'm writing a lot of it is about writing it putting it down stepping away and then trying to come back to it as so i didn't write it and Mm. try and well how does that work how do I feel about that word that line Mm. what is the best investment you ever made in your writing and it doesn't have to be like literal pen or paper or book it could be from a spiritual Mm. um, aspect it could be from a conversation from a mentor from people you've seen that you've never actually met before, but you've seen them doing work and you admire them from afar. But what do you think was the best investment you think in your writing? I would say best investment is time Mm. because along with that comes a recognition that I'm taking myself seriously. Mm. And rather than watching another best 10 commercials ever on YouTube. (laughs) Perhaps I should sit down for 15 minutes and write. Mm. And so it means that I take myself seriously as a writer and that when I devote time to my writing, it's worth it. Mm. In whatever way, it is definitely worth it. 
So I, th I think I would say that that is the investment. You know, I could talk about buying books, taking time to read, going on workshops, talking with other writers. But at the end of the day, it's you, the pen and the paper, hmm. or you, the computer and the blank screen. And you want to be a writer. You have to, you have to get those words out. Yeah, you have to write. Mm-hmm. Um, you've placed a lot of empathy within your work um, so that people can better understand the protagonists and their journeys throughout, and sometimes the antagonists too, because people are who they are because of their circumstances. But um, mm. has placing, how has placing empathy and using representation within your work, um, how did that develop your writing? Not only your writing, I guess, but also as a human being. Mm. Um, I guess, again, back to my mother. My mother raised me to be very empathetic, I think, because as an only child, you know, she, her, she was concerned that I would not think about others because mm. that was my life experience. So she always would say to me, well, what do you think the other person's feeling? Mm -hmm. And so that's always been a question that I've asked myself in, in many situations. Okay, this person's mad, this person's shouting at me, but how are they feeling? Mm. And so it's always a question to come back to with my characters, how are they feeling? Um, particularly for this book, I really, one of the other things I saw in my son's development was that he was in Jamaica and the stereotypical Jamaican male is instructed that in order to be a man, one, you have to not be a woman. Yeah. Two, and and I, I mean that they're not saying in order to be a man, you have to be a man. They are saying in order to be a man, you have not to be a woman. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the second thing is men are not allowed to have feelings. In fact, yes, they can. They can have one feeling and that's anger. Mm -hmm. And I wanted my son and any boys who read this and any girls who read it to understand that Boys have just as much right to feelings as girls. Mm. And that there's a whole buffet of feelings, a whole range that are, that are open to both male and female. Mm. And the point of feeling is to feel. You don't have to act on it, but acknowledge the feeling because through acknowledging the feeling, you can then get to the solution that you're seeking. But if you go straight to thinking, you're going to miss out one whole half of what is going on in your world. So I think um, I've had to do that for myself in my own life. What am I feeling? And that has just automatically flown, flowed into the work that I do. Not just in this story, but in all stories. I've been... One of the things that I really like to do is to read about writing. And um, I'm reading a book at the moment called uh, 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 The Selling Writer, I think it's called. And um, he talks about the point of a book, a point of a story. What the writer is trying to do is to get the reader to feel. 
And so that is crucial, not get the reader to think, not get the reader to figure out, but get the reader to feel. And so you're always, as a writer, trying to understand, if I put this one word down, how is that going to, to translate into feeling? And how am I going to be able to carry these feelings along with the story? And at the end of the day, what is the overall arc of the feeling that I would like the reader to go through? There's no guarantee that they will go through precisely those feelings. But as a writer, you're really, you're saying to the reader, okay, here's the contract. Jump in this this book with me and I will carry you through some feelings and I promise I will take care of you. So we always have that responsibility as writers. Mm. Could you repeat the, the name of the book once again that you're reading? Um, the book is, do I have it here? Yes. Techniques of the Selling Writer. Okay. And, and it's by Dwight V. Swain. Okay. So you said that book, I'm going to touch on that. You said that book is exploring the idea of how we feel or trying to get that, that moment of feeling um, as writers and get that transcribed to your readers. So yeah. I will segue into how do you disconnect and reconnect? I mean, you spend a lot of time um, away in nature, especially where you live. Um, <laughs> learning a little bit more about you as we prepped for the podcast and where you live and trying to get our connection as strong as possible. But how important is the disconnecting and reconnecting as a writer? I think it's very important because in the same way that you are writing and then you put the writing down and you walk away from it, there's a very important aspect of writing, which is incubation. Mm. So I always, when I'm running workshops, I always say, try and get across to writers that even when you're not writing, you're writing. Because mm. you never turn your brain off. <laughs> and as a writer, you're always looking at things through a writer's eyes. Um, and so when I'm in the mountains, my brain is still tick, 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 tick away and I may wake up one morning and go oh my god that is the answer to that dilemma mm. and boom out comes the writing mm. and then I don't go back to it I've got some some seeds to to plant or some weeding to do or I've got to go and carry some water somewhere and mm. you know then then it's all going on in my subconscious way in the back of my mind and I've learned over the years to not sweat too much when I feel like I'm stuck, to try not to use that term, I'm blocked, I've got writer's block, hmm. just to acknowledge that I'm always writing and if I've reached a point where I can't go forward, just, just say a prayer at night and you know, just say to myself, okay, in the morning, I'm gonna come up with an answer. Hmm. And it, invariably it, it happens, but that balance, between producing words on the page and incubating those thoughts and feelings, I think is very crucial. Mm. No, when, when we sit down and we go into our meditative state and deal with, <laughs> I don't want to say writer's block, <laughs> but <laughs> deal with our writer's block and um, mm -hmm. 
trying to carve out the best story we come out of that incubation. We've gone mm-hmm. through this whole process of writing. Not everybody can like where you're right. I mean, everybody don't like every single thing. But sure. as, as a writer, how would you handle literary criticism? Um, I know there are a lot of new writers out there. Everybody is self-publishing now, myself included. And we would have spoken about this aspect with other people on the podcast too, in terms of mm. getting the right editor um, and getting your work out there. But when that literary criticism comes, whether it's your editor or from the community who reads it and say, oh, well, this, this book was a lot of junk. I didn't like it. How should a writer handle that? Um, okay, well, I, let me go back to my editor, Tanya. Mm-hmm. Um, as I say, she will say, okay, this is crap. It's not working. Mm. The crucial thing is she will tell you why. Mm. And so whether someone is bigging up your book or whether they're dissing your book, it's always important to be open to what they're saying and to ask why. Why did you like it? Why? Mm-hmm. Why did you think this was so great? Because when we're in that writing mode, we're not analyzing what we're doing. We're just doing. Yeah. And sometimes we're not sure why it works and why it doesn't work. If someone says it doesn't work for me, try and get them to say why. And it's not you know, hold a knife to their throat and say, why don't you like my work? <laughs> I hate you. Hate <laughs> <Explain> yourself. <laughs> it's not that. It's, it's to try and be humble and try and come with, you know, an open attitude because we all want to improve. There's no writer who can't do with some improvement. And asking that question why Oh my God, it could save you $10,000 and six weeks on a writer's course just to get that one thing. Yeah. You know, oh, well, the character didn't ring true to me because the characters supposed to not like pizza and yet their dream is to go to Italy. I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't work for me. Mm. And, you know, so to, to have someone around who can zoom in and say, look, this isn't working because of this. Mm. Um, I remember in, in, in the book, uh, I think it's chapter three. Uh, yeah, chapter three. So he has this arch rival, Kenny, mm-hmm. big Ed, Kenny. And when I first wrote it, wrote that episode, I had the two of them making up and being best friends. And my editor said, I hated it. I hated it. Make it work. Keep him as the enemy. Mm. What's the worst thing that could happen? And, you know, sometimes you're so, um, depending on your personality as well, mm-hmm. you will have habitual ways. So my habitual way of dealing with confrontation is to, is to make peace. Yeah. But it's not everybody's and it's not realistic and certainly not for a teenager. Yeah. So it didn't work. So although I had to rewrite and I grumbled and mumbled under my breath, <laughs> it made absolute sense and it made such sense that then the, 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 the antagonist really came alive. Mm. And I had so much more to work with. So 
it's not easy receiving criticism, but seek it out and seek it from someone whose opinion you trust. Mm -hmm. When you publish, when you publish, you know, God bless the book. You don't know what people are going to say about it. You don't know. As long as you know that you have done the best that you can. Mm -hmm. I think it hurts if you try and screechy the book through and hope no one will notice the glaring uh, <laughs> errors in it. And when someone says, oh, look at this glaring error, then you hate them because the book didn't, didn't get past them. But actually, it's something that maybe you already knew. Yeah. And if it's something that you didn't know, your publisher or your editor should have picked up on it. Mm. And if they didn't, then maybe you need, maybe the lesson is you need a different editor. Mm. Um, If they did and you were adamant and didn't change it, well, that's a lesson for you. Mm. But if it's something that just got through, it's still a lesson, you know, Mm -hmm. just learn from it and move on. Mm. Agreed. You speak about your editor a lot um, Mm -hmm. because she has been most helpful to you in this process. Um, mm-hmm. Could you tell us what marketing strategies did you use, not only to promote your novel, but as a performer as well? Mm. Um, work, just put out work. Mm. Um, I'm not, I wish I was more in love with using social media to promote myself. Yeah. I'm not so good at that. Um, I'm, I'm trying to convince myself that maybe it's a good idea. <laughs> maybe it's a good idea okay <laughs> it's a great idea folks it's a great idea. I'll, I'll pull you along yeah, all right you. <laughs> when someone when I first got the book out someone said to me you need to package yourself and the image that I got was wrapping myself in bubble wrap <laughs> and I just like it filled me with such horror Yeah, so I'm really trying to learn that it's important to get your stuff out there. So that that is to say how I didn't market myself. But what I did do is I did a lot of readings and I I love doing readings. Some writers don't and maybe being on social media is better for them. Mm -hmm. But I absolutely enjoy engaging with the audience. It's the way of bringing the book to the stage. Mm-hmm. and having that experience um yeah so I did a lot of a lot of that I did a lot of interviews the book was I was very fortunate in it won the inaugural Bert Award for Caribbean Literature mm-hmm. so that was a huge plus um it got the book into a lot of hands mm-hmm. got more publicity mm-hmm. I read on tv I read on the radio um, I did private readings. My publisher set up a set of private readings. Beautiful. I sent the book out to people. Um, yeah, I just did, I did everything I could to promote the book in the best way possible. There are things that I would change with my next book, and I, re- I do know that I need to get a lot more hands-on mm. with social media. Yeah, But I don't, I don't think there's anything that can replace... Um, and, and particularly, I guess it, it depends on why you want to be a writer. Mm. But I wanted to be able to look at a young boy, his reaction to the story, mm-hmm. and to know the 
made a difference in his life. Mm. So readings are really important to me. How did you feel um, having that award in your hand, it being the first one? I saw. I actually saw a picture when I was stalking you <laughs> um, <laughs> on, on the same social media, found your picture in Google, and you had mm. this beautiful... Uh, award in your hand i didn't know who took the picture if it was a professional photo or a friend but mm-hmm. they got the right look <laughs> the right angle into that moment with you looking at this thing in your hand and i said i'm gonna ask her how she feels how she <laughs> felt in that moment having that in your hand and that representation how was that for you oh that was uh that was such a special moment i felt Oh my God, I felt, um, I felt blessed, I felt overwhelmed, validated, mm. energized, mm-hmm. you know, it was like it was all worth it. Mm. Yeah, it was a very, very special moment. Mm. Well, as we are coming to the close, it is mm. time for the digital bookshelf, which is slowly growing. I'm very happy. I'm meeting some new books out there and hopefully some people can be on my podcast hint hint um (laughs) name three books that you would add to this digital bookshelf all right i would add beloved Mm. tony morrison Mm -hmm. um it's a good book read it the first time understood very little (laughs) but i I felt a lot Mm. i think she's an absolute master of getting behind the feeling that's behind the feeling. Mm. Uh, And it wasn't until I saw the movie that I really understood the book. Mm. Um, But I think it's an excellent, excellent book. Mm. Um, Second book. A Hundred Years. of Solitude. Mm -hmm. Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Mm -hmm. Love him love him as a writer just just um the surprises Mm. and just his courage and bravery in just taking the absurd and just taking it to an such an extreme limit Mm. that it becomes the norm and you just understand so many things from it Mm. um and uh the god of small things Arundhati Roy, mm-hmm. absolutely adored that book. Oh my God. <laughs> I love that book so much. Yeah, so those are, it's hard, you know, to zoom in on three. Mm-hmm. But those three, and I, I haven't read A um, uh, uh, Story of Seven Killings. Okay. I haven't read that yet. So I'm looking, it may, it may make my top three list. I don't mm-hmm. know which one it is I would jettison. Look <laughs> forward to that. And I'm definitely mm. going to be adding all of those books. If you have any more, you could also let me know. We can add them mm. on as well. And that also right. extends to the audience members if there are any books that you think, you know what, you guys should read this book. It's really good. It has just some good information mm. or some good feeling because this was a feel good podcast Um, i think as well having a section in the library for the technique of writing yes 
good. You know, we can't all afford to retreat. We can't all go on workshops. But, you know, books are affordable and sometimes there's some real gems. Yes, I agree. Uh, before we go, I know you're not on social media, but there should be places where fans <laughs> and other persons can get in contact with you. Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you can find me on Facebook. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> there, is no extensive, there is no extensive list. <laughs> I find she put Facebook and we here doing a podcast. So what she says holds very, 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 very true. You can find her. <laughs> Thank you so much for being oh, on the podcast. I'm very happy so about much. this. Yeah, and, and I'm so happy about your initiative. I know it will go from strength to strength. Ah, I see you're still here. Great. Here's a sneak peek of next week's chapter. Author, poet, actress, activist, educator, and past tutor of mine, Sonia Williams. I was not good enough for my ego. <laughs> I was like, honorary who? I don't want that. I did not even go to I the know, ceremony. I, I know Sonia very well, folks. <laughs> I have been her student for a very long time, so this is nothing that is new to me. Carry on, Smiley. I wanted to be the best, and I really have to get over that sometimes. You know, I wanted to be the best. Competitive. Uh, I didn't realize I was. I was like, I'm not very competitive, but I am. And um, so I put it away, and, and a few years later, I went to one of the judges, and I said, well, why wasn't my book good enough? Mm-hmm. And he said, your book just needed editing. Mm-hmm. You just wrote it and send it in. Yeah. And that's when I learned that I needed to really get an editor. Hey, bookworms, what's going on? Thanks for listening to the show. If you want to learn more about the podcast, you can visit empresszinga.com slash the right women podcast. That's empress, Z-I-N-G-H-A, to see our growing digital bookshelf and past episodes. You can also drop us a line at the right women podcast at gmail.com. I've been your host and storyteller, Empress Zynga from Barbados, reminding you to always believe in your magic. See you next chapter.